Today we're joined by David Hooper. Now, David Hooper is somebody I had never heard of, and I thought I knew everybody who was kind of behind the scenes in podcasting, but somehow I missed him. He's been around for, what, about 15 years now, David? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I was on the radio, though, and podcasting was a secondary thing. I didn't know there was a podcasting community myself other than Dave Jackson. He's kind of the guy who told me about podcasting and then that's you go way back with him though right? way back, well he was a musician and i was a musician too i had a music business show that started about the same time he was doing his first podcast called musicians cooler now when did you actually start podcasting are you part of the serial crowd uh no 2005 oh, okay so you've been podcasting this whole time i have i have but it was an offshoot of the radio show so i was not connected with any of these guys i knew guys like adam curry because adam being in the music industry, I knew him from MTV and uh, MTV.com. I knew Dave Jackson. So I knew there were people like kind of what I call the super nerds of podcasting. But I was sure. like, that's them. And I'm doing radio. We just release it as a podcast. And there was a, a difference. And, and now that difference is starting to get blurred because of things like Serial. When NPR came in, when real talent came, came in, and I don't mean that podcasters weren't talented, but when radio talent, maybe is a better way to say that that's when everything started getting blurred. I started looking at podcasting more and I was like, Oh, now it's time to jump to podcasting because (laughs) now people know about it. Now we have an audience. It's not just the super nerds anymore talking about tech stuff or talking about podcasting. We're talking about everything. And that was super exciting to me. So I jumped in fully and that's why you're fortunately hearing about me now. Well, good. And would you say that I know serial kind of to me is actually the second wave. I feel like, although he's not the first Adam Carolla, I think is the one who I feel brought podcasting to mainstream. Yeah. I think he was huge. Anybody that has an audience that's going to bring that audience with them. And I don't remember the story with Adam Carolla. I'm not sure if he got caught up in that whole Howard Stern thing. When So how is that? So replacement. Okay. He was Howard's replacement for half the country though, because one of the things that they did is they didn't want one person to have that much control. So they put Corolla in there. And I believe David Lee Roth from Van Halen was at least for a week or two on Uh one coast or the other. So anyway, I I think that, you know, that how we're going to satellite radio. I think you're probably right about that. There was a lot of discussion, like what's going to happen with broadcast radio, where are we going to go from here? And, yeah, you, you've got to have a, a big audience, I think, to jumpstart the thing, as does NPR, as did or does Corolla. And I think that certainly helped things in both those things. I, I guess that would be maybe the first or second wave. Well, it's funny. You could probably speak to this. I, I interviewed Mike August, who runs Corolla's Enterprise. Yep. And has been with him since the beginning. Yep. And Mike was talking about how when um, Adam took over for Howard Stern, he was number one in all the markets he served or, you know, that he actually got except for LA. <laughs> Thus he got fired, which is ironic. Well, LA is a pretty big market. So if you're looking to take care of LA, yeah, that would, that would probably be a big deal. But there's also a lot of money in the secondary markets, the third markets. I know, for example, guys that are in television with 
what I'll call syndication. There's the first round syndication, which is going to be the US, second, third, fourth round syndication. And these guys will go over to something like Malaysia or these small countries in Africa, and they will be superstars. And these shows are 10 years old to us, but they're going to these smaller markets. And and that's the same way with podcasting. You can be a superstar in these smaller markets and the average person won't know you. Like I've been around, as I mentioned, 2005, you didn't know me till just now. Not everybody's going to know you, but you can still be successful or still reach the people that you want to reach. Is that like, um, was it Phil Rosenthal when he went to Russia selling Everybody Loves Raymond, the the Russian version of that? (laughs) I don't know if you ever saw that. I didn't see that. But but yeah, that's the thing that we don't realize, I think, being in the United States is that we are on a big planet. And it's it's funny, we talk about like Los Angeles and New York, people in LA or New York, they don't realize that there's something going on outside of LA and New York. Flyover country. Yeah, right. The flyover. That's exactly what we call it. And even in the United States, we don't think about there being other parts of the world that also exist. We get caught up in our own world. And uh, yeah, 100%. I mean, Russia's big. China's big. China's got, what, a billion something people there. Oh, God, yeah. And that's a big chunk of the market. And it's growing. I just heard this stat this morning, actually, about the Chinese podcasting market. I want to say it's growing it's either 48% per month or 84% per month. So imagine that kind of growth. Now it's not going to- South America. Oh, South America is huge. And speaking of these secondary markets, you know what's really big? This is a funny story about South America. A really big enterprise down there is Tupperware. Tupperware, (laughs) I'm I'm in my 40s, I'm 46 years old. So in the 70s and the 80s, you might see these Tupperware parties in the United States. Sure. It's old news here, but that- culture down there. Those people, they'd never heard of Tupperware. They just took it to South America. It's a big thing down there. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so who knows? You might have a hit here in the United States. 10 years later, you're going to take Beverly Hills 90210 out to Malaysia. Big hit all again. You know what? As a typical podcaster, I'm a slut. I'd be happy to perform anywhere. Well, it's super (laughs) exciting, man. I mean, I've seen this in the country music industry as in the music industry primarily for 20 years. Musicmarketing.com was my company and we would market musicians. Mm -hmm. And I would see guys with one big country hit and they will play state fairs for the rest of their life in the flyover. And they are superstars and they make great money. Well, and we had that with the heavy metal in Japan too, right? Yeah, not not only in Japan, heavy metal in the Midwest, heavy metal in the Scandinavian countries. People think, yeah, totally. People think the metal died. It did not. It just went over to Europe, Japan, the flyover. It's still around and still a huge draw, still sells even CDs, if you can believe it. Because sometimes markets are not as forward thinking or technologically advanced as the market that you're in. Well, true. And if you have crap bandwidth, you don't want to stream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or you just don't know how to. That's the issue that we face as podcasters and that's getting easier. But these days, you know, with even grandma's got an iPhone now and she's got the podcast app or she knows about apps. You know, it's not like my grandmother. She didn't know what a mouse was. She said, "Mm, I've heard of a mouse. (laughs) We explained to her what it was. These grandmothers today they know a little bit more. So we're getting there. We're getting to be a more technologically advanced society and being more comfortable with this because you have to think about radio or records or movies. That didn't really change for about a hundred years. We would put it on a piece of plastic. We put it on a truck, get it to a store. You would buy it. And a CD, a record, a cassette, eight track, that was distributed and made more or less the same way. But technologically, technologically, 
we are advancing in a big way when it comes to any kind of entertainment, movies, podcasts, music, and these grandmas are catching up. And once the grandmas catch up, it is on. <laughs> well, there you go. I'll be grandma's own. Um, one thing I think is interesting, you brought up the music industry on that. And you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I've always been under the impression that we've done nothing but come full circle. That when singles came out originally, it wasn't about how many singles you would sell. It was about playing the single on the radio so people would go see the show yeah. when the band came into town. Yeah. And aren't we kind of come full circle right back to that? You get on Spotify so people come to the concert and that's where the bands make their money? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the music publishing business, which is making money off the underlying composition of the song, that was what they call like a penny business or a nickel business, make a nickel here, penny there. And that money adds up. But the music business, it, it wasn't just singles and, and live shows. If you think about it, there were bands they would release maybe two or three songs ever and they would go out and they would do these shows. They didn't have an album worth of material. And the reason we got into albums in the seventies, sixties, eighties, that was simply because you could charge more for albums. There's more stuff on them and you've got shelf space that's limited. So you might as well put something on the shelf that you can charge more for. Nowadays, we don't have to deal with that. We've got Spotify. It's just as easy to download a single as it is an entire album. And yeah, you've got to figure out a way to make the money work because it is an, a 99 cent single you might make as an artist. Let's say you don't own the stuff, the label owns it. Maybe you don't even own your publishing. Let's say you make 10 cents, if that. So you got to find a way to make money. And a lot of guys are doing the live stuff. A lot of guys are doing merchandising. A lot of guys are doing, I guess, brand type stuff. If you think about the band Kiss, Kiss is a metal band, hard rock, whatever you want to call them. One big live show draw, they're on their final tour but also one of the most heavily licensed brands that there is. I want to say they are in the top 10 in the world. This is Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Mountain Dew, Kiss, somewhere in there. If you can put a Kiss logo on it, Gene Simmons will license oh. you the rights. And that's how those guys are making money. Music is just what enables them to get in the game. As a podcaster, same thing. You don't make money off the podcast, but it enables you to get in the game. Book authors, they know that. They go and they speak. So it. It's what makes you famous so you can get that money. Actually, Gene Simmons had one of my favorite quotations of all time. Somebody um, accused him of being a sellout. And he said, son, I sold out the day I started. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those guys are. Uh, yeah. If there's not money involved, it's, it's funny because I actually wanted Gene Simmons to do the Ford for my last book, not the current one on podcasting, but a book called Six Figure Musician. And I know people in the industry and I know guys that have worked with them. And my guy was like, you know, if it's not national or if he's not getting paid, there's absolutely no way that you're going to get him to even get out of bed. Just, <laughs> it's just not that guy. That's what motivates. And we've all got our motivation. He said, he said, I can get you Tommy, who's the new guitarist. I'm like, mm -hmm. It's almost charming in a way, though, isn't it? Yeah. You know who he is. You know what he's about. There's no secret. He's well, there, there's something to be said for that, isn't there? Just full front. I'll tell you another interesting thing about Gene Simmons. Gene Simmons, a really, really smart guy. Again, I know people that have worked with him. I was trying to get in with him. Yet he gives you this image of, oh, I like comic books. I never read. I'm a rock star. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. No, 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 no. He's... No. Clean living guy. He's He is a clean living guy. The thing I think that gets him, that's something for us all to watch out for is ego. And he wants to be loved. 
And I think that's what's enabled him to do this. But Kiss is 50 years old at this point. And I mean, that's, you know, that, 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 that's hard work to get on the road, even when you're flying in your private jet, staying first class hotels sure. and that kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, he wants to be loved. And, and I think that's something for all, for all of us to look at is what is your motivation? Now, that brings us to your story. What I find fascinating is I'm originally from Tucson, Arizona. And one of the things about that is I was born in Tucson, and almost anybody living in Tucson, very few were born there. Is that the same case for you? You were born in Nashville. Yeah, I was. Yes. Uh, they call me a unicorn. And it's okay. so rare because we have such an influx of people. The population has grown in the last, I want to say it's 20 years, maybe it's 10 years, 50%. So that's a lot. And it's very rare for people to have stayed here. A lot of people move on or they're just not here anymore for whatever reason. I want to know how that shapes you because it's different. I mean, when you were born there, your whole life is there. It's very different than people who grew up in a small town, fill in the blank, and they go to the big city, Nashville. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the thing that was great about being born in Nashville is because at the time, this is in the 70s and even the 80s, it was still this way, was that you could see that music was a way to make money. And when I would go to school, from the time I was in kindergarten, I would pass Music Row, which is, it's two streets, actually, it's 16th Avenue, 17th Avenue South. And you'd see these big buildings, record labels, publishing companies, and it was known that that was an opportunity. I would go to school with kids and their parents were either famous writers, they were producers, they were in the business. So in a lot of ways, that was all we had. And that's all that I saw. And I just assumed that everybody knew it was possible to make a living with your ideas, your creativity, uh, putting on a show and having people come to it. And it wasn't until I started moving around that I realized how rare that is. Now that's changing for Nashville a little bit. We're known right now for bachelorette parties and you'll see like at a hot tub, they pull around on the back of a trailer and something called the cockpit, which I think is like <laughs> male strippers in an airport shuttle. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Yeah. So we're kind of changing into Las Vegas. Nash Vegas. Nash, that's what they call it. A bunch of neon without the gambling, but it's got the same kind of steak, uh, you know, steakhouse and American food. And we put on a cowboy hat for you and jeans and play, so you're, put on a good act, but it, it's not the same. Between Texas and Vegas. Yeah, totally. And it, it, it's all a facade. And if, if you were to go to Las Vegas, they say, ah, you know, it's really not like that. Just when you go to the strip in the same way for Nashville, but you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was a lot different. There was an opportunity here for independent musicians and there still are opportunities, but just like we talked about with Spotify and with podcasting and things, the opportunities are different than they were. And some of that's good and some of that is bad. Yeah, that's definitely something I want to explore because you've been in the music industry, which I feel is there's similarities, but obviously there's differences. Um, to, to what, to podcasting? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, podcasting... Well, famously, well, it was YouTube videos, but you can use the Steve Jobs amateur hour quote. <laughs> yeah, I, and I have. That's in the book. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. I bought the book. I haven't gotten through it. I'm waiting for the audio book. Well, yeah, it's, it's 462 pages. So that, that one quote, it's, it's easy to miss. But yeah, Steve Jobs, he said it's amateur hour. And he was right. Because any kind of new technology, you're not going to see the big boys jump in there. I do a radio show the flagship station, the license alone is worth $20 million. That wow. is a huge investment 
to get into radio. And you've got staffing, you've got studios, you've got tower rental, or you own a tower. So people looked at podcasting like, ah, who is this? Is it kind of a David and Goliath thing? What are these guys doing? And they really weren't thinking about it. I sort of had to beg, but also, I mean, not really beg maybe, but they're just like, yeah, okay, it's pod- It's just a little thing on the internet. It's just a thing. Just, you know, like a, a domain name, that's the internet, whatever. We don't care. I've, I'd seen it happen before with .com stuff. You brought up Adam Curry earlier. He, yeah. Um, well, he was a, coming. He bought MTV.com. Well, I, okay. So I remember that. So that's a fantastic story because he bought MTV.com. MTV didn't want it. They didn't take it seriously. And it used to be Adam Curry would get on the television. He'd say, hey, email me, Adam, MTV.com. I'm like, oh, cool. And it was so weird because you could write him and he would write you back. And then MTV saw the light and he had to actually change it to Metaverse, which I guess is MTV. <laughs> He filled it in, right? <laughs> so it's metaverse.com. But yeah, he he was, that's exactly what it was. It was guys that were curious and guys that saw the future. And these big companies, it just, it, it is what it is. It's like I talked about Los Angeles or New York. You get caught up in your own world. No different from any of us. You think, I've got a big radio tower and I can blast my signal out to everybody and everything is great now. It's going to continue to be great. Mm-hmm. You know, Bitcoin, those guys like, oh, man, it's going up. It's never going to go down. That's somebody from Bitcoin the last few years, how that's worked out. What goes up comes down and maybe it goes back up again or maybe it doesn't, depending on how smart you are, just the timing of the market. But radio just didn't see it coming. True. I, I think that we're there's people who are writing the postmortem on radio too early. Oh, yeah, it's not dead. Yeah. yeah, it's not dead. Um, no, it's just shifting. And I, I think that actually... Really, I think podcasting is as well. Like I, I'm 48, so you and I aren't that far apart, Mm-mm. and we don't completely understand where podcasting is going to go. I think it's the uh, teenagers of now who are going to determine podcasting, the ones who have always had it. Yeah, what I call the natives. They can certainly – I think they can maybe invent or change up some things – but with that said, it's the guys our age that have been through that first dot-com bubble and remember, oh, they did this. Well, I'll tell you, what, I'll give you an example. So the way I got into books, movies, and doing some stuff outside of the music industry was because the music industry, we were the first guys that would put something online and have people download it and purchase it or and or steal it because music was so small comparatively you've got a, a three minute song that's a whole lot different than a high definition movie oh, sure. so we had the arrows in our backs once we kind of got through that through that part of the of the of the stage you know i had book people coming to me movie people coming to me certainly podcasting hasn't been that much different they say what what can we learn from the music industry what can we learn from the music industry so we don't have to go through that same thing that you did and you know we've got that with Radio, and I think we see it in terms of talent. Look at, you mentioned Serial, NPR. Those guys are dominating the podcasting space because they understand content. And at the end of the day, that's what's going to be exciting for people. Like, I think that YouTube is a perfect example to look at with these young guys coming in. They kind of dominated YouTube, mm-hmm. younger people. They're certainly dominating like social media. But now that what I call real talent, and I, I don't mean that in an insulting way, but people with like a background that can learn from these young guys and also have that perspective. I think that's where, I think it's going to be a collaboration. Maybe we'll bring the world together and have world peace with younger and older 
liberal and conservative people. I, I don't know, but I think we can learn a lot <laughs> from each other. And I think that you're right. I think that younger people are certainly a driving force. The market certainly drives that. Right. And they don't have the um, problem with the uh, backward analogy. Like a lot of people our age think of podcasting as like, oh, it's just internet radio. <laughs> yeah. And really, I, I interviewed uh, James Cridland. Yeah. And he brought up a, a great example and he further um, changed it as well. He said, no, it's not really like radio. It's more like a bookstore. And then we talked further and it's actually more like a library. If you want an analogy to podcasting. I think that's a good analogy because the thing about radio is that I know how radio works. I push a button, it turns on. I set the frequency. That's easy. That's another knob. And then you've got volume. Do you want it louder or do you want it softer? Podcasting is a little more subtle and there's a little bit more to choose from, obviously. So how do you find that? You know, a little bit more complicated. We're not used to that, we, but we weren't used to that with any kind of media. When I was growing up, when you were growing up, three television stations, maybe you could have a fourth, if you want to call PBS, a, a fourth station. But it wasn't, you know, we kind of, that was on the other end of the dial. Like, you know, we don't really sure. watch PBS. And the UHF channels. And the yeah, well, eventually, Facebook right? Access, right. And event, eventually UHF came in and eventually cable came in and then satellite. And now I think it would be rare. I don't have cable or satellite, but I know from looking at the packages, there are hundreds and hundreds of stations. In fact, there's one down the street from me on Music Row. And I think it's called the Farm Network or something like that. The Rural Farm Network, RFN maybe. And this guy's just got a bunch of farmers on there and he's making a killing. He started just playing videotapes of people talking about their crops and stuff. So that shows you. Oh, totally, totally. But but in the Midwest, my producer's from Wyoming. He's like, oh yeah, that's big out there, man. I mean, because it talks to them in a language that they want to be talked to and that is made just for them. And that's the opportunity I think we have with podcasting. But yeah, how do we get people there? That's the thing. We hope people are searching for it and we can hope that we're good enough at search for them to be able to find us. Yeah. And I think that's one of the problems with um, podcasting is I, I interviewed Dave Jackson, brought up the quote, the, you know, those good news, bad news things where you take the same sentence and use it both ways. <laughs> yeah. The good news is it's now easier than ever to get into podcasting. Yes. The bad news <laughs> is now it's easier than ever to get into podcasting. Yes. Yeah. Good news is there's no filters. Bad news is, there are no filters. Yeah, the, you, you could, there's five or 10 of those I could probably think of off my head. And, and that's the truth. I think we have to come uh, and appreciate the the good outweighs the bad though. And that, thank God we can be here because I'm talking into a $60 mic. I'm in a closet. Uh, yeah, an old laptop. I mean, how amazing is that? And it sounds great. On the radio station, we've got this thing called ISDN and it oh. costs how much that costs, but all sorts of equipment. You've got to have a, another studio that has it. It's got to sync up. Not easy. And I don't think it sounds as good as this. I, I know ISDN cracks me up though, because that's so nineties. Scary. <laughs> I, I work in it. Oh, do you? I'm like, I'm like, really? You can't do fiber. You morons. Well, they you got something called ISDN over fiber. I mean, I, there's a million things. Well, yeah. ISDN where the, the two have to sync up together, but they've got a new thing called ZIP. I guess they call it zip which I'm looking forward to trying. But yeah, everybody, like ISDN is so reliable. And and when it comes down to it, I think that's one of the things that's kind of hurt us is the reliability. Like when you're on the air with a live broadcast and everybody's listening to you or watching you or something, you got to go with what works. So people are very, very slow to change. Even the producers I know 
when there's an update of Pro Tools or an update of an operating system, they do not upgrade because that's their bread and butter. <laughs> there's an old saying about science, too. It moves one graveyard at a time. <laughs> it's uh, This is why podcasting took 15 years to finally catch on. Yeah, and now, though, I'm not sure if it's really getting refined or it's more spray and pray. There seems to be almost um, a survivor bias that's coming through. And by that, I mean, oh, look at Tim Ferriss. He has all these downloads. Look at Serial. And it's like, yeah, that's a point zero 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 one percent Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, 100%. I mean, anybody can take, I guess, like a, a confirmation bias, if you will. You'll find that one element and say, well, the Beatles never went to a music conference. Therefore, why should I go to a music conference? Or Serial never went to a podcasting conference. Why should I go to a podcasting conference? It, it, it's tough. Um, yeah. Ferris, though, is one of those guys like Corolla, though. He came in with an audience. Exactly. And I think the amazing thing about him is that this is a guy who had one really big book and his, I, how long has that been? 12 years ago, 10 mm-hmm. years ago, at least. And he's continued to redefine himself and keep doing stuff. And people still like him. So this is a topic that came up um, on one of my recent episodes with super Joe Pardo who runs MapCon. Yep. Um, charging guests, John Lee Dumas, I can send you a screenshot of it. I would love to see that. Yeah, because I'm curious how those guys do it. And, and I have probably a different thought than most people because a lot of people are like, oh, my God, how could you? How could you spoil that? It's something podcasting was so precious. But uh, I'm curious, go, go ahead with your thought and then I'll, I'll certainly give you mine. Well, I'm in the middle. I, I can see both sides of it. I personally do not charge and do not plan to charge. I hope to earn money in another way. Yeah. Because I fear it'd become an infomercial. Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) I'm not, I don't know. I I need to keep a piece of my soul. Well, I'll tell you this. So I have a friend of mine, he's in the pharmaceutical business and I, I mean, literally the pharmaceutical business, he works for Pfizer and that kind of thing. He's a doctor, cardiologist, and he goes out and does educational events that happen to be in Hawaii at a golf course, at a resort (laughs) with excellent food excellent beverage, and they are all expenses paid. Sure. You cannot tell me that that does not influence the decision of the people that he's taking out there. Of course it does. He says it's education. It's what, 30 minutes to say like, here's how a new heart medicine works. So it 100% affects things. Certainly we see this kind of thing in politics. I think that if you're wanting to get money, if, if that's even on the table, that's going to be something that affects who you let on your podcast, what you talk about, what you let go. I don't fault somebody for saying like, I've got this, basically it's an advertising opportunity for you. And then trying to sell that. I don't fault somebody for paying to get in front of a large audience. So I see that. And I think, can you make money? We used to have this thing in in music industry called pay to play. And if you were to go out and well, well, this was for just clubs though. So okay. if, if you were to go Not to a really. club on the Sunset Strip in the 80s, these clubs would say, all right, we are a 500-person club and we charge $5 a ticket. Therefore, you need to give us $2,500. And they're making their money regardless of whether anybody shows up. You would buy the tickets in advance. 
Okay, opera- but then you charge at the door $10 and hopefully you make it. Right. Back. No, exactly. Exactly right. You would go out and you would sell tickets in advance for $10 and you could potentially double your money. So I look at that as an opportunity. A lot of people, they were like, no, I'm not going to do that. And a lot of those people yeah. got passed by. So that's fair though. You're renting a space. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that by the same token though, if you could give me four hours or however long Tim podcasts for, which is a long time, it's at least half of the four hour work week, if not the entire thing. If you could give me that kind of time in front of his audience, it might be worth it. Is he biased? If I've come in with a big check, 100%, 100%. And some of the stuff is overrated. I think Ferris probably is bringing in a big audience. Some of these other guys, you know, not so sure. I'm not counting their money or looking at their statistics, but there's a lot of hype in podcasting. And I think people are, are probably paying a lot for something that maybe is not really worth that much. Oh yeah. Let's talk about that. This is fun. Like uh, my favorite scam is the Amazon bestseller deal. Um, <laughs> we can also talk about charting and podcasts. Okay. All right. So, so explain, explain what you mean by the Amazon bestseller. Okay. It's not technically a scam because Amazon put in the algorithm to do this and they set it up to update their stats every hour. But what Amazon has done is they created upteenth number of categories, just categories for everything you can imagine. Right. It 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 goes pretty deep. Right. And then they update the stats every hour. And this categories are so deep and stats are refreshed enough that you and five of your friends buy the book and you're number one in your category for that hour. Yeah. Yeah. At 2 a.m. on Thursday. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and now you are officially an Amazon bestseller. Yeah. Well, it, it depends on how you define bestseller. So with me, I've got a saying, it used to be a music business saying, probably still is. It's not number one until it's number one in Billboard. And for books, my belief is it's not number one until it's on the New York Times list. Even that could be bought. But Well, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but but they're on it though. At least New York Times is aware of it. They'll they'll put a dagger, what they call a dagger beside it. So if you're buying book books in bulk, you have to be pretty clever, but sure, a lot of this stuff, and that's when you're talking about payola or what we call plugola. I mean, all that stuff, if you go back, uh, there's great books. There's one called Hitmen. There's another great book called uh, And Party Every Day. It's about Casablanca Records. I'll tell you a funny story from Hitmen. If you remember Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd, it's on every single station in the country, except, take it back to Los Angeles radio, one station in Los Angeles. Everybody Hmm. loves it. It's big. They're in Los Angeles playing five nights of a sold out show. But the number one station in LA is not playing it. Now, why was that? Hmm. The guy wasn't getting paid. So the guy gets paid all the time. Suddenly, 40 spins a week. (laughs) (laughs) So so it's been happening for a long time. And I think it's one of those things that we've got to be honest about. Yeah, there are ways to to, uh, manipulate the charts. I talk about this in the big podcast book, I call it the slow burn and I'm doing what I call a slow burn launch. A lot of people I think get caught up in, Oh, I'm number one in the New York times. But the truth is my book has been out about a month. There are a lot Mm -hmm. of guys that hit the New York times list and then they go away in a week. I could have had a a New York times and then been selling the same amount of books that I'm selling now, if I had planned it out that way. And what would it matter when somebody gets the book? They just want to know, is it going to help them or is it not? A lot of people, I think they get too caught up in, oh, I'm a New York Times bestseller or I'm a whatever number one. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. They just care if it's good or not. Right. And I do want to point out that there are there is a legitimate Amazon chart because I had a, the author Brian Freeman on, for example. 
he was the number one bestseller in the entire Amazon catalog. <laughs> that, counts. that counts. That counts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that is not easy to do because you're up against Harry Potter, Michelle Obama. I Michelle Obama is about ready to have the best-selling memoir of all time. All, wow. How are you going to compete against that? You got to be really organized if you're going to go up against that. Star Wars got to be really organized if you're going to go against that. True. And I see this happening in podcasts. There are people out there who will say, I'm a top 100 podcast. Yeah. And you go, oh, really? And there's there's places like Chartable. Our friend Dave Jackson's not a fan of theirs, but you go look at Chartable. You're like, oh, so you're number 74 in a subcategory in Kazakhstan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's really a top 100 podcast. Technically, it's true. But... Yeah, doesn't feel quite like that. Yeah, but, but who cares? I, I think we overestimate that. And I don't know if that's just podcasters. Do we do we need that kind of validation? Are we Gene Simmons? Where we just need somebody who's just going to tell us that we're good or that, you know, you're okay. Eric, you're okay because you're number one in Kazakhstan. You know, it, <laughs> it's, it's your hungry ghost, man. It's just going to go right through you. I think it's more valuable. Dave Jackson, I know he talk, he talks about gas in the tank. He loves to hear from people. He loves okay. to hear that you, he has made a difference in people's lives. And I think for any artist, for any podcaster, which I would include in, in the artist statement, that that is so much more valuable than number one. It might impress your parents, but as we've already talked about, like some of these parents, they don't even know what a podcast is. They just hear number one. And, you know, maybe it's a millennial thing, not to rag on millennials, but you always hear about, oh, they just got a medal just for showing up. And maybe people are used to getting awards or something like that. But I, I don't know. To me, it, I've never, ever cared. And maybe that's just me. Maybe everybody else but me cares. But I, th I think it's easy to get caught up in others' validation of ourselves. And I think that we can get into trouble with that. When other, I, I, I'm downstairs in my house. My wife is a fashion photographer. Upstairs is a, a modeling shoot going on today. And I see this a lot with models coming in. I don't know. Does it look good? Uh, they, they, they're basing their own self-worth on the opinion of others. And, uh, you know, it's, it's dangerous, man. It's dangerous. You got to have that internal knowledge that you are okay and that you're giving something of value. It's kind of a combination though, right? I mean, you do need to acknowledge that uh, people are vomiting over your latest outfit. So, you, know, you, you can go a little too far. You have to have self-confidence, but at the same time, it's like, uh, sometimes the signals are telling you to pay attention. Yeah. Well, I, I think that everybody, if we we're honest, it would be great to be number one in iTunes. But I think from a long, you know, for or Amazon, whatever, any, whatever your chart is, it would be great to be number one. But when it comes down to it, you, you've got to, walk away with something more if you want something to last because number one is temporary no matter how good you are michael jackson biggest selling artist of all time is temporary i wouldn't want to live his life no no i, would, I wouldn't want to live the lives of, of a lot of these people because even somebody at the level of john lee dumas for example you go to a podcasting convention everybody wants a piece of that guy everybody's asking for something they want something they don't you get to the point where you don't know who your friends are and I think that a lot of guys that have success in books or music or podcasting, they sort of believe they're on hype. I talked about it in the book. It's known as pretty girl syndrome, where mm -hmm. you're, you're considered beautiful, let's say, 
and it, j- just to clarify people it's like oh that's sexist okay we'll say a guy is good at sports sure. is that sexist or somebody's good at sports or you've got a great podcast whatever it's called pretty girl syndrome in the book and you start to believe like it's there's either something special about you or this is how everybody is treated i can't believe everybody else is having a hard time and i'm not having a hard time and you lose touch with the reality of how a lot of people live. And I think that can be very dangerous. Not that we should be, you know, in, in struggle all the time or something, but I would not want to have it to where everybody's coming to me with offers. I, I think unless you're good at saying no, that can be very difficult. You know, that's a great point. Now, you've actually interviewed and know some legit celebrities, like hardcore celebrities. What, are the parallels, what are the differences between, shall we say, people in the music world, you know, and people in the podcasting world? I think the thing that most people don't understand about musicians and what I try to break down when I bring them into my studio and the podcast you're referring to or the radio show, technically, it's called Music Business Radio. And I bring guys in and I was a musician myself and I was in the industry as a marketer for 20 years. And I don't, we don't have, like we've had, sometimes people will send us writers. It's usually the managers. Uh, We'd like chilled white wine. We'd like cheese plate. And it's like, it's a radio show. If you want to come in here, tell you, tell your story, be our guest. We're not picking you up in a limo. We're not giving you a cheese plate. We're going to get in here. We're going to be real. And what I have found is when you, talk to somebody like that, not, not being mean, but just like as a real person, they appreciate it. Cause as I mentioned, everybody's coming up to them wanting something and nobody's real with them anymore. And what you find is a lot of these folks, they are not who you think that they are. And they're sweating over every single note, every word of the book, whatever it is that they're creating, just like you are. And that we all are the same when it comes to releasing our book or our podcast or our music. And sometimes even after having that number one hit, whatever you consider number one to be, it can be even more or, or sure. harder, more of a struggle because everybody's watching you now. So you think that it gets easier. It doesn't get easier. And I think that would be the biggest, biggest thing. It's funny. Imposter syndrome. 100%. But think about this book that I've got. It's 100, 462 pages, 93,000 words. And that's just what made the book. The actual writing that I did, probably 130,000 words. And there's a lot of work that went into that. It took four and a half years and I give it to somebody and they read it and they're like, oh, when's the next one coming out? <laughs> I don't know. Four and a half years from now. It took a long time. We don't respect the, the work that goes into stuff. And I think that's the other parallel because you know this from doing a podcast. Any podcaster is going to know this. We could talk for an hour or 30 minutes, however long the podcast episode is, and it takes a lot more time than just that. You don't just show up, roll out of bed, hit record, and be done with it. It's a lot of work. Yeah, and I probably take it farther than most. I spend six to 10 hours per guest. Wow. Look at you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it takes that. If you want to get good, I mean, that's what good is. Everybody makes it look like it's pouring a box of cereal. Oh, you know, you can get on Anchor and you could do it. Well, let's do it. Mm-mm. If you want to compete, you got to be like Eric. Speaking of which, you had um, looked like over a dozen books out. And they were coming to a relative frequency, but it took you four and a half years for the latest. What's up? <laughs> 
So the latest one, it, it's the biggest book that I've ever done. The one before that probably took a couple years. I do have a, a few different books. I have reinvented myself a couple of times. Uh, one of one of those times being by accident. The uh, first one, music business, we talked about the new one being podcasting. But I had a book that was just a mindset book that I put out just as a fluke. I wanted to put my strategies for, I guess, the mindset of business or success. And then that took off. You remember the movie called The Secret? Yeah, yeah. It's yours is all about um, visual, yeah, visualization, very Napoleon Hillish. Very Napoleon Hillish, right? Because that's the kind of stuff that I w- had been reading, like Earl Nightingale, who's a great broadcaster, Napoleon Hill. A lot of the business guys that I know were into that stuff, and I put my own slant on it, a more modern slant on it. The secret came along shortly thereafter, within a few months. Bam, my stuff blew up. So I had a, a bit of a divergent career, if you will, kind of a side hustle. And I put out some stuff under that. And one of the reasons there's so many books, especially kind of the new agey stuff is because I had a lot of people helping me on that. Hmm. It wasn't the the hard fought battle that I had to get this podcast and book out or the music business books. It was a little bit easier. I mean, I would have the ideas, but I would have people could help me because it was one of those things like the iron was hot. You knew it was going to be a fad, wanted to get the stuff out. And it was, you know, I looked at it as like a fun business experiment. But not really something that I talk about. I'm not embarrassed about it. I'm bringing it up, not you. But it's one of those things like uh, I really believe now, I mean, being in my 40s now that your words need to be your words. And I think that it's important to, if you want longevity, uh, to, to do that, to put your your heart and soul into it, not just go like for an easier way, just slap your name on it, even when it's not necessarily you. I mean, I was involved, but just not at the level that I am now. Actually, that's there's a slight divergence I want to take on that. Because sure. Another one of my pet peeves is hustle porn. <laughs> well, I've got another one called failure porn. It's funny, but we use that same term because people just really get into like t- talking about the struggle or how hard they're working or how far they've come. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, well, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, and we'll, we'll say a name, Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, guy has a $12 million business to start and hustles, hustle, hustles to a much bigger business. You talking about the wine, the yeah. wine company. Exactly. Well, that was his father's business. So I'm not sure what so his involvement sort of like, was that. Do you remember the old joke about, uh, George HW Bush that he was, um, born on third base and thought he hit a home run? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I wonder about that. I mean, I don't know the work that Gary had to put in with that. I will say this. It's almost like, and this is just a personal viewpoint. I'm not trying to demonize alcohol or something like that, but it's like drugs or sex or porn. It's pretty easy to sell. My opinion, it sells itself. Is it competitive? Yes. But if you had a store selling all this stuff and if you could deal with the regulations and stuff, you're going to sell just like McDonald's. McDonald's is established. Put a McDonald's down anywhere, you should be able to make money with it. Again, casinos, that's like printing money. So I I don't know his involvement with that. I do think that he's a big personality and I think his company, I don't know the kind of work that they do. I think it's very personality driven. I think if we were to see him step down from it or die or whatever, just not be in that business sure. anymore. I don't know that that company would necessarily work. He is in, w- doing what you call hustle porn, work, work, work. You got to work. And, and I think that's okay. 
you do have to work. I mean, it's not just going to come to you, but I think the issue is if you are somebody who's young, let's say you're your teens, your twenties, and you think that it's like, you don't have the perspective to balance that out with. And you also don't understand what you're going to be missing. Should you choose to do that? There was a Chinese executive. He just said, you need to work 12 hour days and you need to do it six days a week. So Jack Y, I think. Yeah. So what is that? 70 hour work week. And I mean, I don't know, 72 hour work week. That's, that's a lot. That's almost twice as much as we consider normal in the United States, 40 hour work week. And you're going to miss some things. You can't do both. I used to have people, they would tell me you want a music career, but also want a family. It's like, well, you know, which one do you want more? <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's just, you just, you just can't do both. Well, there's another point too, that I think a lot of people are missing. It's sort of like how Malcolm Gladwell sort of misinterpreted the 10,000 hour rule by Anders Ericsson. Mm-hmm. Um, just doing something for 10,000 hours does not make you an expert at it. <clears throat> And it doesn't mean you'll succeed. Um, the original principle is deliberate practice. And it may not right. be 10,000 hours. It may be 1,000 hours. It may be 3,000 hours. But you have to have very specific focus. So just going hustle, 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 hustle doesn't mean you're going to succeed. You need to actually target your hustling or you're just killing yourself. Well, that's the thing because when I was in the music industry, for example, MySpace. Remember MySpace? Sure. It's what the kids use before Facebook. And people would think, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm working, I'm working. And they would just be adding friends to MySpace and posting stuff. It's like, eh, not really, because you could go do a gig right now and you'd have three people there. I don't care how many MySpace fans you have. We need people to get out and see your shows. And I, I think that's the thing that a lot of people, again, this perspective, I think that adds to this, just posting on Twitter or sitting in a coffee shop or in a co-working space and looking at your laptop, that's not necessarily work work, not to make this harder than it is, but you know, there can be some struggle to it. And there's got to be, as you say, deliberate practice. And you get, we're not making widgets here. Let's just put it that way. So you can't knock out twice as much in 18 hours than you could in nine. Sometimes I've got a friend of mine, he wrote a song called Everlasting Love. It's been a hit 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, I mean, five or six decades of, of big hits of people that have had with it. It took him 15 minutes to write that. So, you know, it's a good 15 minutes of work. <laughs> Peter Frampton had that with, uh, um, do you feel like I do and show me the way he yeah. wrote them the same morning. He said, he said he's been trying to duplicate <laughs> that same morning for 40 years. That's a good morning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, they just blew out of them and it and nothing. Well, there's a lot of, a lot of songs that have, been that way the, the old hair metal song called cherry pie by warrant oh, might perfect, be stripper with. Song. perfect stripper song it's on my strip club playlist actually that i've put together for music music supervision and that guy uh, jamie lane he had the second album they were due and they're like well we don't really hear a hit he did the same thing wrote up five or ten minutes became a huge hit one of their biggest hits and sometimes it, it's it's just that way that's not to say that he didn't do all that prep for that moment. Sure. Which is the same thing like what we're doing. You and I cannot have this conversation without a little bit of knowledge and, and depth and personality and point of view. It's all the work that you've had up to that point. I've been podcasting for 15 years. Nobody cared the first 12 or 14 years of it. 
True. And I came at it as a podcasting fan. Yeah. I, I've just been doing it for a bit over a year. Well, you sound great, man. I don't know if you've got any kind of talking skills, Toastmasters, or other stuff that you've done. But again, there's something that you have done that enables you to do this. And certainly the research and your ability and willingness to do that helps. I'm too dumb to know better. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's how the best things start, though, isn't it? If we I, knew I what we were going to get into, I think we would say no a lot more often. Yeah. And on that note, to wrap it up, because I've got a top-notch marketer and a guy who wrote a giant podcast book on the show. So I need to get at least one major nugget. Give me one most important thing you could see a new show doing to succeed. Obviously, there's 100, but just the one focus. The thing that I would do, and I think you've done a good job of it during this episode, is make sure you don't hold back, have a point of view. You've dropped some names and have made some comments that a lot of people will be like, whoa, 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 don't, don't. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. That guy's the king. Don't say anything about him. And I, I think that you don't necessarily need to go in attack mode like right-wing talk radio might and start naming <laughs> names and making fun of people or whatever. And you're not doing that. But you do have a, an opinion. You have a point of view. And I think that is where most podcasts fail. It's the same old thing. I'm going to talk to entrepreneurs about success. Oh, really? Yeah, you and a billion other people that just started today. What's going to make you different? So bringing your own personality, the things that you've learned along the way, even if you're 20, you've learned 20 years worth of stuff. So bringing that into it, but not being afraid to have an opinion and share it. If you look at the biggest broadcasters in the world, let's say Howard Stern, Limbaugh, any of the biggest broadcasters in the world, whether you like them or hate them, they've got an opinion and you know where they stand and you know what you're going to get when you turn them on. So I think if you can bring that into your podcast, doesn't have to be an act, just has to be you, but bring that into your podcast, that's going to help you attract people that relate to that and they're going to be fans because they want to say it themselves and they're too scared to. Cool. Feed into the confirmation bias. <laughs> well, that's what, you know, we've always also heard people work with who they know, like, and trust. You've heard that, right? Sure. But people also listen to those that they agree with. So 100% feed into that. You were just confirming, letting them know that it's okay to be them. Perfect. Perfect summation. Now, everybody needs to go to bigpodcast.com to find out more, right? Yes. And if you're interested in the book, just bigpodcast.com slash book has more information on that. As Eric, you've talked about, it is big like the name suggests, and there's a lot of info, but it's not intimidating. It's I, I think of it like a Bible or a reference guide. You just go to the chapter and verse that you need. And if you want to read it all the way through, you can, you'll benefit from it, but it's organized in a way that's going to make it easier for you to get the information that you need from it when you need it. If it's too heavy, get on a Kindle. Waste the same. <laughs> Bits are cheap. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. It is it is that way. But there's something about it. You know, if you want to look real smart, if you want to attract people, we talk about flying the flag. Podcasting is big now. Take it down to a coffee shop and people be like, oh man, you're a podcaster. It's a great way to connect with people. So there's something Good to be idea. said. That That's the thing that I think we miss is podcasters and also book authors because of Kindle. Like nobody can see what you're listening to or no, nobody can see what you're reading. Yeah, that made 50 Shades of Grey a bestseller. 100%, right? All this erotica <laughs> on Kindle, it's going crazy. But the downside is, is that you, you're not able to connect with people. And I, I do think it's great 
for if when it gets back to niche and you fly on your flag, if you've got one of those kind of podcasts, one of my favorites, a woman named uh, Alexandria or Alexandra Harbushka, she's got a podcast called Life with Herpes. And Ooh. she's helping people when a doctor says, you know, you've got herpes, what's the first thing you do? Well, what am I going to do? Right. You search on the internet and they find her and she lets them know that it's going to be okay. Now, you're not going to necessarily broadcast that to the world. But think about it. You can be at the gym. You can be wherever you are listening to it and nobody will know. That's the true power of podcasting. And that's awesome. I mean, that's really doing a service. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And and, and I think we've all got that kind of service within us. It's just a little bit different. Maybe that not that obvious, but to the people that are listening to you. So let's say you're gay and you're a host and you're talking about something completely non-gay. Maybe there's somebody who's like, oh man, that guy can be himself and that guy's an inspiration to me. Maybe it's True. just that. Maybe it's a secondary payoff for everybody else and it's not what you think it's going to be. But that that's another one of the beauties that we've got in our hands here. And then the gay comparison is kind of like Will and Grace. They made um, gay people relatable to the rest of the population. Yeah. So it's like, well, oh, they're gay, but they seem very just like me. Seem normal. El- Ellen has done that. Ellen has done that. My homophobic aunt loves Ellen. I'm like, well, you know, she's gay, right? Well, you know, and she's, she's rethinking that. She's one of the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> that's, but that's how it starts. That is okay. how it starts. Being in the South, we certainly have a, a history of, of discrimination and segregation. That's how it starts. And you can be part of that by flying your flag, whatever flag that is, gay pride or not. There's so many ways that you can do that. And you let people know that, you're just a person and we are just people and we're all people and we've got more similarities than we do differences. That's a perfect point to button it up on. Hey, thanks so much for coming on. David. I'm glad to, I'm excited about this. I, I love, I love the attitude that you've got and I love being able to kind of go into these different things, but also relate it back in. This was fantastic. Well, thank you, man. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please, Consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. Hi, I'm Susan C. Bennett, the original voice of Siri. Randall Kenneth Jones likes to talk. And he loves to listen. Over the past few years, more than 100 people, celebrities, newsmakers, thought leaders, rock stars, journalists, artists, humanitarians, and more, have chatted with Randy about the ups and downs and the ins and outs of a life well-lived. So if you like conversation, laughter, and thought, Jones.show is for you. Subscribe for free to Jones.show on iTunes, Google, or your preferred podcast platform. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Brett Allen, and I am the host of the Open Mic Podcast, where no topic is off limits. Here at the Open Mic, we talk to many different people. We talk to celebrities, entrepreneurs, psychics, celebrities, and everything in between. I would like to encourage you to listen and subscribe. You can learn more about the show at theopenmicpodcast.net. Again, thank you so much. Until next time, cheers and be well.